Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. So we're going to go backwards a little bit uh, as we move forward in 2022. And if you're taking notes this morning, uh, we're going to talk about the importance of prayer, but we're going to, uh, I guess you can, you can write in your notes, 10 ways that we can pray in 2022. So it'll be more of a topical message today. And those 10 points are going to come in the form of church history. We'll, we'll have a few uh, quotes from the scriptures, but the majority, I think I have 45 quotes from church history today. So buckle up. Now we're going to go for a ride in the past and, and uh, that'll bring us into the future uh, for 2022 and the importance. And so uh, by way of review of the gospel of Mark, so this week we're going to be, again, we're going to be preaching, I'm going to be preaching on prayer next week. We're going to actually practice that by by actually having what we call the prayer service. We do that maybe about three times a year. Uh, Eric's going to lead that next week. And then uh, also then the following week will be technically what we call a kickoff Sunday uh, when everyone's back in town and uh, ready to go. But we're going to do Mark 4, chapter 4, the parable of the sower. So it's very fitting as we start off. Uh, and, and it's a very visionary message because uh, you'll find yourself in one of those Four soils, your heart will. And so, by way of review, Mark 1, 9 through 11, we see that Mark, who's writing to the, to the Romans, uh, Roman Christians, uh, he's writing to them, showing that he is the Son of God. That is the whole purpose of Mark. We're going to go through that, go through Mark probably till maybe 2023 20, spring. Uh, we'll probably be around around that time that we'll finish. But, you know, I, as I was praying and, and asking the Lord for, for vision for 2022, it just, uh, the, the verse came to mind, 1 John 3, 2, which is that we would become like him as we see him. And so that's the purpose and the, the vision, I guess you can say, of, of the gospel of Mark. Mark wanted, wants us to see Jesus as he truly is. And as we see him as he truly is, we'll become like him. And this year, may we go from glory to glory. I know that a lot of us have seen so much fruit as we've gone through the gospel mark. Even just this fall, I've seen so much fruit. Can you imagine going through another year and a half in the of gospel mark? What it's going to do to our souls and, and seeing us become more and more like him. What a privilege it is to actually open up the gospel of Mark and read it in our own heart language. And the Holy Spirit quickens our mind and in our hearts to understand it. That is a gift, that gift of faith. And so when Mark starts off his gospel, he's trying to prove pretty much line by line that he truly is the son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, the, the one that we were all waiting for. And so the Holy Spirit descends on him and the father affirms him. In other words, he authenticates Jesus by the Holy Spirit Saying, uh, comes on him like a dove, if you remember that. And then also the Father uh, opens up the heavens and, and says and declares that this is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. And that sets us off on this incredible adventure to see who Jesus truly is. And he identifies uh, himself with us by being baptized. Because if the Father wants uh, John the baptizer to, to baptize people, then... And Jesus is part of the, the population of that time. 
He needs to be baptized. He needs to fulfill all righteousness. And that's important to our salvation in that he is the perfect lamb of God, the spotless lamb of God. He has to be spotless. He has to be pure in order to make sacrifice or be a substitute for us. So that, that's why it is so important, the baptism of Jesus. And then you move on to the temptation of Jesus. He was, he was victorious, as you can see, over the arch enemy, Satan, and also his demons as he casted out many demons uh, in the Gospels. And then you get to him making disciples and not just preaching. He came to preach the gospel, but not only preach the gospel, but pastor people. And he came to make disciples. And we are here today, 2,000 years later, because people in church history did their job. They took up the, 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 the command to make disciples. And we're sitting here because somebody has discipled us. Somebody has shared the gospel with us. How glorious and amazing that is. You should thank God every day for that. And also, uh, not only that, but he, he shows us that a true family is someone who doesn't just believe, but also does the will of God. Saw that uh, a few weeks ago. And then we move on to uh, Mark 1, 20. I'm going to skip around just a bit, but it's going to be three chapters worth. Uh, but 1, 20, 1, 21 to 28, Jesus confronts evil in the church. He wasn't afraid to confront evil head on. You remember that? That evil resides in the synagogue and yes, evil resides in the church. And Jesus was able to confront sin in the church and we still need to do the same today. Amen? We cannot be afraid. If we're going to be like Jesus, which is the whole point of this, and seeing who he truly is, that we also need to confront evil in our relationships. And yes, if we understand if we understand that, that we are sinners, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, right? That puts us all on the same playing field. And so when we confront people in their sin, it shouldn't be a surprise that they're confronting you. And it shouldn't be a, a surprise if they give you something back. So also, uh, Mark 1, 29, 34. In Mark 2, we also see that Jesus cares for the sick. But not only that, but something interesting, he also does it behind the scenes when no one's looking Right? He did it with Peter's mother-in-law. Peter said, hey, please, I know you're doing, I know you've got the big ministry with the crowds, but you know, my mom is sick. Could you come? Could you come in and my house and, and minister to my family? And of course, Jesus did that. And we do need to do ministry behind the scenes. He also touches the untouchable. Who are the untouchable in our own society? You might ask. If they all of a sudden, you know, had it, whoever that untouchable is in your mind, all of a sudden they are now, uh, that might be your roommate, by the way, but the, but, uh, <laughs> um, but as, you, as, you, as you think about someone who's untouchable in society, and they all of a sudden want, they want Jesus, would you turn them away because they're so-called untouchable? Oh, they must not really want Jesus. They must not maybe be, maybe be sincere. Jesus ministered to the untouchable. Mainly lepers and people who were outcasts, tax collectors. He was a friend of sinners. We too need to be a friend of sinners. Which virtually means we're a friend of everybody in the world that recognizes they're sinful and recognizes their need for Christ. And then Mark 2, 15 to 27 and Mark 3, 1 to 6, he confronted legalism. Those are very convicting messages. Those two messages. They're very convicting in that we all deal with spiritual pride, don't we? 
All of us have spiritual pride. All of us have that, that sense of, uh, uh, we don't need God, but yet we need God, right? And he shows us incredible grace when we recognize our need. And then last but not least, where we're going to basically park our car for today, is Mark 135 to 39. He had a secret life of prayer. It says here, in the early morning when he was surrounded by crowds, he, had, he was in full-blown ministry in Galilee. He, he, in early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. Even this morning as I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, not because I wanted to, but because the Lord, for whatever reason, woke me up by God's providence, I was frustrated, like anybody would be. Went to bed at a decent time, like 10 o'clock. I couldn't go to sleep for about an hour and a half. It was very frustrating. But then I thought, I was like, I'm preaching on prayer this morning. I probably should pray. <laughs> and so, just the, and, and prayer does, in one sense, make you fall asleep. It's kind of a blessing in one sense. But you don't do it for the reason to fall asleep, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's a little messed up when you think about that. But, <laughs> but uh, it worked, thankfully, or but um, do we have a secret life of prayer with all the demands to set aside time to pray? This is the Son of God. The Son of God setting aside time to pray. He modeled that for us. He depended upon the Father to pick his disciples, as we saw even later, to, uh, to, to figure out the game plan, the strategy, where to go next. Do we do that? And I want to ask you a question by J.C. Ryle. He's a, a pastor in the 1800s. You know, he's one of my heroes. But how did we do last year? You know, 2021 was supposedly supposed to be a year of prayer, which every year is supposed to be that. But we just felt like, you know, because of the pandemic, because of all the politics and all the divisions and all the things of that nature, we just felt we need more prayer. We always need more prayer. This is always... A convicting message, whether you're a leader or, uh, you know, or just an everyday Christian. You know, I mean, we, we, we feel convicted. This makes us sound even uncomfortable. We're going to talk about prayer and, and basically we're going to realize that we're prayerless. Yes, all of us are. All of us are. But I want to ask, how did we actually do last year in praying specifically, in praying persistently? How did we do? Were we truly a people dependent on God in all seasons? In all four seasons as we flew through, really, 2021. And this is what he asks. He says, I have a question for you. It is contained in three words. Do you pray? Do you pray? The question is one that none but you can actually answer. Whether you attend public worship or not, your minister knows, right? Leaders will know. Lori wasn't here once again, or whatever, you know. It might be. Uh, or whether your, your family uh, knows that you pray or not. They don't know. I mean, your kids can say, oh, well, dad prays, dad doesn't pray. I mean, they know. But whether you pray in private or not is a matter between yourself and God. I ask again whether you pray because a habit of prayer is one of the surest marks. Listen, the surest marks that you're a true Christian. 
That is incredibly convicting. I think on that note alone, we should convict all of us. And Cicero, what we're going to do, we're gonna, I'm going to quote Cicero, which is kind of funny in one sense, but I, I, want, to, I want to kind of give you guys a, the bigger picture here. We're going to go through 10 different ways that we can pray in 2022. And I want to do that by way of not just the scriptures, but I want to do that in a way in, uh, to show you that throughout church history, basically I'll focus on the 16th through the 19th century, mostly the Puritans. But that's the Reformation to the Great Awakening, 1500s to the 1800s. And I think it's important because we have a family. What the 21st century doesn't understand is we don't understand that we actually have a family that goes back 2,000 years of the church. Now, let's not neglect Israel. That goes back even further, 4,000 years. So for the last about 6,000 years, we have a family goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Why we sin? Right. Those aren't our favorite family members. <laughs> but Cicero says this in 106 BC as they're kind of putting together Rome, the nation of Rome. To know nothing of what happened before you were born is to remain forever a child. Think about that. I don't think any of us want to remain a child. But if you just... Cut yourself off, which most of the church does, by the way, in America. They're ignorant of who they're connected to. Now, we're not connected to everybody. <laughs> I'm not going to go into that. That's another message. But we want to be connected to the right people. We have a family that is so rich, so incredible. They can inspire us. They can exhort us. And they can encourage us in one quote. And so these works are incredible. A lot of these are taken from books. And of course, they're close. They have a context. And, but I just, I, I, I think you know about the Reformation. I think you know a lot about the Great Awakening. Many, maybe not so much the Puritans. So I'll just give you a little quick synopsis. The Puritans, they wanted to carry the Reformation. They, they, they wanted to purify the church in doctrine. They wanted to purify the church in worship. That was their passion. They, 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 they're purists. They wanted, they wanted a pure doctrine from the scriptures. They wanted to bring people back to the Bible. Not the, the book of common prayer or the state religion. Hey, we're there today, in some sense. As the state continues to, as we saw the last couple of years, continues to dictate what the church does. It's not Caesar that is in control of the church. As Mark even is making that argument. But it is... Jesus, Jesus, right? He is the head of the church, Ephesians 5. And so the Puritans, although they get a bad rap, uh, and they're not perfect, but they cared about purifying the mind with the scriptures, head. They, they could reach with their sermons into your heart. And they also moved you in your, to your hands your feet to do the work of God. Who would want to learn under them? They're incredible, right? So I'm going to get through the 10 here in a moment. We'll go back and forth with scriptures and quotes and whatnot. But I just want to address one thing before we get into the 10. We've got to be aware of our prayerlessness. We have to at least be aware of it. 
And I, I'm going to use these quotes to get underneath the skin, to get to your heart, to understand that all of us deal with this. We all do. And it's not to make you feel guilty, although that's kind of the point in one sense. But, but so that it drives you again to Christ. Prayerlessness and the conviction of sin shouldn't drive you away from the Savior, the one who could forgive you. It should bring you towards him. Towards him. Let there be no gap in the conviction of sin in the running to the throne room of grace. Amen? Prayer should be natural to a Christian. Prayer should be natural. That is what J.C. Ryle is trying to make the point. If we don't pray, that shows us something about our hearts. What's going on? It's an indicator. It's like, hey, look, pause. It's the, it's the check engine light. It's the, the low on gas light. There's something, I, I, I don't know, this is kind of a funny thing to me. But it's like, every time I go into the gas station, when I'm like low, it's kind of exciting. It's like the little orange thing comes on, the little gas thing. And I'm like, I'm filling up my tank today. I don't drive anywhere. It's usually like once a month that I have to fill up in my car. But it's, it's like, it, it's so exciting to get filled up. I don't know what it is. It's like, we're going to go somewhere. But yet I'm just going to go from the gas station to home, most likely. <laughs> but I got a full tank. And if I needed to go somewhere, I would go somewhere. I mean, it's just, you know, it's local. We live in a three to five mile, right? So the, it, it's, it's natural. It's, it's a, uh, it, it, here, here, a quote from William Gurnall. He's a Puritan. He says, Praying is the same to the new creature, creature as crying is to the natural. The, the child is not learned by art or example to cry, but instructed by nature. It comes into the world crying. It's natural. Praying is not a lesson got by forms and rules of art. Although we can be inspired, we can be taught to pray. I mean, disciples ask, how do I pray? In Luke 11. But flowing from principles of new life itself. When we get born again, when we become a child of God, we pray. And that's what you do. You have a new father now, right? You're not a child of the devil. Your father was of the devil. Jesus says that. And you did the things of the devil. But now, as a new creature, creation, 1 Corinthians 5, 17, right? You are now a child of God. And you want to talk to your father. J.C. Ross says this, just as the first sign of life in an infant when born into the world is the act of breathing. So it's another analogy. So that the first act of men and women when they are born again is praying. Luke 18, 7, they cry day and night unto him, this persistent widow. That's what they, they just keep knocking. They keep going to the father. That's the point of that passage. And then in Romans 8, 15, they cry out what? Abba, Father. Do you know the only one that is... The only person, listen, the only person that allows you to even make that cry is not your father, is not your friend, not your pastor. When you do that, you know it's a gift. When you cry out to God, that is a gift from God. That is a gift from God. That is the grace of God. Wright also says that they are, they see their need of mercy and grace, recognize their emptiness and weakness. They cannot do otherwise than they do. They must pray. That is the sign of a believer. In fact, Psalm 14, 4 says that the wicked are the ones who don't call in the name of the Lord. It's the wicked that don't call in the name of the Lord. If that's not convicting them. 
We need to recognize our prayerlessness. We have to recognize that. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at a proper time, casting all your anxiety unto him because he cares for you. It's interesting. He says, humble yourself. You can't pray unless you're humble. It's impossible. Right? Philippians 4, 5 to 7, The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Because everyone wants peace. Peace, peace, peace. We want that. Listen to John Flavel. He's a purity. He says, that which begins not with prayer seldom winds up in comfort. In other words, you can't get comfort without prayer. Now, here's a warning to prayerlessness. Greg Nichols, a pastor, says this. A prayerless person is ungrateful because he doesn't thank God. Self-righteous because he doesn't confess his sins to God. He is self-centered because he doesn't ask God to bless other people. He is presumptuous because he doesn't pray for his daily needs. He is irreverent because he doesn't praise God. And he is unfriendly to God because his prayerlessness evidences that he doesn't enjoy being with God. That's a... We can go into ministry time. (laughs) But we have... Four more pages. <laughs> Stephen Chadwick. Another Puritan. Hurry is the death of prayer. That's mostly our problem, right? I mean, we as believers, we want to pray. We want to talk to God. Yes, pride keeps us. Hurriness is also the death of prayer. The reason why so many people do not pray is because of its cost. The cost not so much in the sweet agonizing supplication as in the daily commitment and devotion to the life of prayer. There's a lack of devotion, a lot of times because of that cost. It's, we we want to get moving throughout the day. You know, you know that feeling. You get up in the morning and just you want to pray, but you also you got to get going. Especially if you have kids. I mean, there's you know they're crying or they're needing mom or dad. I mean, there's there's lots going on, and that and God knows that. He understands that. He's not telling you to get rid of your kids so you can pray. Funny way, <laughs> but. <laughs> Thomas Brooks, are going to quit your job. I mean, sorry, boss, I can't come into work today. i got to pray. I mean, that's not going to fly, even if they're Christians, you know. Come, remember the Bible passes, pray unceasingly. Maybe that way it work. <laughs> Thomas Brooks says this, a family without prayer is like a house without a roof, open and exposed to all the storms of heaven. We can't afford to be prayerless. Charles Spurgeon, a prayerless church member, is a hindrance. Interesting. He is the body like a rotting bone. He is in the body like a rotting bone or a decayed tooth. But before long, since he does not contribute to the benefit of his brethren, he will become a danger and a sorrow to them. Neglect of private prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. We don't want to be that. We don't. I mean, as, as you look at your neighbor, you're like, please don't be prayerless. <laughs> don't be prayerless. J.C. Ryle also says, neglect of prayer is one of the great cause of backsliding. How many know that's true? How many know there's a downward spiral, right? Neglect the word, neglect the prayer, and watch this. You may be sure men fall in a private long before they fall in public. They are backsliders on their knees long before they backslide openly in the eyes of the world. That's where it starts. You see, the most heinous sin on the news, it starts, especially by Christians. It starts with prayerlessness. It starts 
with a lack of prayer in the prayer closet. Like Peter, they first disregard the Lord's warning to watch and pray. Then, like Peter, their strength is gone, and in the hour of temptation, they deny the Lord. It's the same for all of us. Don't, you, don't, don't, think, don't look at Peter and be like, come on, Peter, what's wrong with you? Watch and pray. I mean, the Lord needs you. We're all like that. We're all like trying to pry our eye open and just to pray in the morning. Bunyan says this, John Bunyan, Puritan, prayer will make a man cease from sin or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. It's beautifully written. J.C. Ross says, praying and sinning will never live together in the same heart, ever. Prayer will consume sin or sin will choke prayer. Isn't that interesting? Either or. You can't have both. Corey Tenboom, although she doesn't belong in this category of people, I love this. When a Christian shuns fellowship with other Christians, the devil smiles. When he stops studying the Bible, Satan laughs. But when he stops praying, the devil shouts for joy. The devil shouts for joy. And how much joy does the devil have across the landscape of American churches? So as we look into the 10 ways we can pray in 2022, number one, we need to pray with confidence. We need to pray with confidence. Know that you're speaking to the Father. That is how you can pray with confidence because you've got to know who you're speaking to, right? Our Father, Luke 11 starts with. John Calvin says this, prayers to climb up into the Father's lap and whisper my needs, praises and confessions and thanksgivings in his ear. So many people give John Calvin such a hard time. Oh, he's like when they see the picture, you know, the long beard, the hat, he's this French guy, you know, just a predestination, you know, like election, God's election, all this debate. Look at this guy. Prayers to climb up in the Father's lap. That's what prayer is. To climb up into the Father's lap. To whisper in his ear. All the things that are on your mind. What a wonderful picture. Our Father is present. We always have him to turn to. Who does the unbeliever have to turn to? Even if our prayer does not get answered, we still can turn to him. He still listens. He may not answer prayer. Listen to what William Bridge says, Puritan. A praying man can never be very miserable, whatever his condition be. For he has, a, he has the ear to God, the spirit within to indict, a friend in heaven to present, uh, and God himself to receive his desires as a father. But listen, it is a mercy to pray, even though I never received the mercy prayed for. Do you understand? You can turn to him. You can at least, you can always turn, there's always going to be a listening ear. That is for sure. What is not for sure all the time is that we get an answer right. But we can always go to him. Who does the unbeliever go to in time of trouble? You know, as you think about people that go through such hardship, you know, you even think about what you go through maybe in, you know, in these last couple of years or whatever. And then you think, how do unbelievers do it? How do they pause? How do they do it? I don't even know how they do it. I can barely do it. And I have a father I could go to. Who do they go to? It's amazing. That's where confidence comes from. Knowing who the father is. And the Bible describes God as father. Our father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The kingdom come and will be done. 
et cetera, et cetera. Look at that. It's a wonderful outline of prayer. And then Philip Melanchthon, also during the time of the Reformation, he was a German theologian who was a companion of Martin Luther, said this. He, he heard Luther pray and he says, oh, he prays with such familiarity. He prays with such reverence. Isn't that interesting? Both with reverence, we always think, like, yeah, we, get, we need to go to God with reverence. Hallowed be your name. Fear your name. Yes, we need to go to God with reverence. That's important. We can't just flippantly go into his presence. We go to his, into his presence with, with Christ, clothed with humility, right? But I love this. He prayed with such familiarity. That's interesting. It's like, it's almost like Philip Melanchthon was saying, it's as if Martin Luther really knew God. It's just that they were friends. And that's true. You can pray like that. Luther had so much to do that day that he had to pray even more, he would say. The more things that I have to do in this day, the more I need to pray. Well, this is the opposite for us, right? The more we have to, oh God, I have so much to do. Lord, please, just understand. <laughs> Luther's like, look, I have a lot more. I have more on my calendar. I, I, gotta, I, I gotta pray more. I gotta get up earlier. I gotta, I gotta find more time to pray. And Luther also, he prayed out loud for two reasons. One, he prayed out loud because, you know, and this is helpful, uh, practical, that his mind wouldn't wander. You know, if you, if you pray out loud, get in the habit of praying out loud, maybe, maybe in an appropriate place. Um, you know, <laughs> but as you pray out loud, it, it, it keeps your mind from wandering. And he also prayed out loud because he wanted the devil to hear him. I mean, Luther's kind of a feisty guy, right? Look, I want the devil to hear me because he's the defeated foe. Number two, pray with sincerity. In other words, don't go through the motions of prayer. Matthew 6, 1. Let's turn there for a moment. Matthew 6, 1. It says this, beware of practicing your righteousness, which is prayer, he says, fasting and giving. Before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Right? And then skip down to verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Don't, in other words, don't go around announcing how great your prayer life is. Nobody cares. People will notice because there's things happening in the church. People will notice because perhaps you've given them your prayer request and they're being answered. Amen? Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Amen? And then he goes on to say... Uh, when you're praying, do not be meaningless in repetition. Sometimes I catch myself doing that. You know, just kind of, what, I, what, what did I just actually say? It's almost like, what did I just read or what did I just type? I, it, it, you, you need to go back and say, okay, Lord, I, I'm in a state of prayerlessness right now. Because you, be, you could be praying without being prayerful. Uh, it, it, the, even the Puritans just talk about that. Like, be prayerful, not just be praying, but. Be conscious of it. Don't go through the motions. For the Gentiles do that. 
to be heard by many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. In other words, you don't even have to, sometimes prayer just, you know, he hears a sigh, he hears a groan. There are times when our prayer life looks like that, and it's, you are praying more by doing that than by your meaningless words. Thomas Brooks, another Puritan, says this, cold prayers always freeze before they reach heaven. Isn't that interesting? Are your prayers cold? Are they heartless? Are they fiery? Are they warm? Are they connected? John Bunyan, when you pray, rather let your heart be without words than your words without a heart. Let me repeat that. When you pray, rather let your heart be without words. There's times you're just, like I just said, maybe words aren't necessary. Just get right with God. Then your words without a heart. J.C. Rowell says, this word said without a heart are, is utterly, utterly useless to our souls as they drum, as a drum beating the poor heathen before their idols. You know, just the false worship beat. Where there is no heart, there may be lip work and tongue work, but there is nothing that God listens to you because there's simply no prayer happening. Vision for Prayer said brilliantly by John Bunyan, and I think this is a great outline. I probably could preach from it, but it just says that from a bet from Bedford Prison in 1662, of course, he he would be, you know, I might know this story, but he was put in jail because they were the nonconformists. They wouldn't conform to the state religion of common prayer, book of common prayer. They would be off on their own. And, and, and basically almost very similar to what we've seen in the last couple of years with, you know, all the stuff that the state handed down on the church. When the church stands for truth, there's going to be opposition. And John Bunyan stood up in that time and said, I need to preach the word of God. So they put him in prison. And they said, look, John, you're a nice guy. Like, we want to let you out. If we let you out, could you please promise us that you're not going to, you know, you're not going to do your preaching anymore? He said, no. Okay, then... Unfortunately, you need to stay here. <laughs> and uh, some stories say that they let certain guys out and, uh, at night, and they preached at night, and they went back to their cell by morning so that no one would see them. If they had favor with the jail guard. But this is what he says. Prayer is, is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart, soul, or soul to God through Christ in the strength and the assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things... As God has promised, or according to the word of God, for the good of the church, with submission and faith to the will of God. What a great vision for prayer. What a great vision for prayer. Number three, pray without ceasing. What is prayer without ceasing? I read across this funny story. There was a, a, some sort of pastor's conference years ago. And well-known pastors came to discuss prayer. And, you know, they came up with a bunch of different ways, you know, that what does it mean to pray unceasingly? You know, they came up with all these theological, lofty reasons that it could be. And, and a lot of them were, were good and, and right. But then this woman came by who was, you know, fixing food and, and, and drinks for the, uh, preparing, you know, kind of administratively for the conference and and she's, she says, she overheard, she says, or someone asked her, said, what, what, do you, what do you think praying unceasingly? And she says this, when I wake up, I put on clothes, and it reminds me that I'm clothed with humility and love. 
Then I sit down for breakfast and I'm reminded how thankful I am for the food the Lord gives through his word. Then I prepare food for others and I'm reminded how the church serves and each other with humility and joy and how Jesus is the ultimate servant. They're like, not a bad thing. I think we're going to go with that. That's what praying on season. In fact, the Puritans would look at a door throughout the day and say, that door reminds me of Christ. Because no one can get into heaven without going through the door. We're so secular in our mindsets. We need to go back to church history to understand that how people live throughout the day. They incorporated scriptural analogies into their day and it reminded them of Christ. What a wonderful way to live. It's incredible. In fact, praying unceasingly doesn't mean praying long. There's wisdom to this. If William Gurnall says this, pray often rather than very long at a time. It is hard to be very long in prayer, listen, and not slacken in our affections. Sometimes when we just force ourselves to pray long, a lot of times as we pray long, to that measure we're praying long, there's a decrease in our affections. Because we're not connecting. We're just kind of doing it because we could tell God, maybe even others, that we're praying long. And it becomes ineffective. Number four, pray with priority. One, you need to do this first things first. Joseph Alley, he's a Puritan. He died at 34 years old. What an evangelist, powerful man. He left the Church of England in 1662, the Act of Conformity. Uh, he was jailed for preaching, just like Bunyan was. By the way, there was 2,000 Puritans who were kicked out. Or chose to cut themselves off from the state church and preach the gospel. For a soul to come to Jesus is the greatest event in history. He wrote a book called Alarmed, Alarmed to the Unconverted. It's a fascinating book on evangelism. Aline once wrote to his dear friend, said this, Though I am apt to be unsettled and quickly set off the hinges, yet it seems to me I am like a bird out of a nest. I am never, I am never quiet until I am old. I am in my old way of communion with God, like the needle in a compass that is restless until it be turned towards the pole. In other words, he feels out of place. Do we feel out of place? Do we actually sense that when we're prayerless, and we don't start first with the Lord. Do we, do we feel that even? Do we notice that even? Is that even like a, man, I feel out of place like a bird of a nest. I, I feel like a, 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 a compass without a needle turning north. I, I, I feel out of place, he says. With my soul I have desired thee the night, and with my spirit within me I have sought thee early. My heart is early and late with God, and it is the business and delight of my life to seek him. Is it yours? Is it ours? Spurgeon later wrote about him, and he said, At the time of his health, writes his wife, he did rise constantly at or before 4 a.m. and would be much troubled if he heard smiths or other craftsmen at their trades before he was at communion with God, often saying, How this noise shames me. Does not my master deserve more than theirs? In other words, when people started getting back to work, when they could hear the clang of the hammers and they could hear things, he's like, oh, I missed it. Oh, here's the, another day is dawned. I got to go to work. Here we go. Isn't my master worth more for 
me to get up a little bit before the time for work to pray. How this noise changed me. From, eight, from 4 to 8 a.m. he spent in prayer, holy contemplation and singing of psalms, in which he much delighted and did daily practice alone, as well as in the family. Sometimes he would spend, suspend the routine of parochial engagements and devote whole days to the secret exercises in, in order to which he would he contrive to be alone in some void house. He would, put, he would basically clear the desk, if you will, so that he could spend much time in prayer and find a spot in an open valley. There he would spend much time in prayer and meditation on God in heaven. That, was, that made him effective. He was 34 years old when he died. He's a passionate man of prayer. John Bunyan says this, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Isn't that so true? It's amazing how, you know, just there's something that always crowds out the place of prayer. Watch it. Phone call, text message, some sort of distraction. Make it your priority. Number five, pray with intercession. Pray for your family, your friends, leaders, city, and nations. John Flavel says, what a mercy was it to us to have parents that prayed for us before they had us, as well as in our infancy when we could not pray for ourselves. What a blessing intercession is to the church. And he was thankful for that. Spurgeon said this about great men of prayer in the 16th century. The men, the man who is mighty in prayer may be a wall of fire around his country. Her guardian angel and her shield. We have all heard of how the enemies of the Protestant cause dreaded the prayers of Knox. More than they feared armies of 10,000 men. Can you believe that? Let, let, me, let me say that again. We have all heard how the enemies of the Protestant cause dreaded the prayers of Knox. More than they feared the armies of 10,000 men. It was when it was illegal to share the gospel. Let's go. May we have that. They feared more than 10,000 men with, with weapons. They feared this man who prayed. Because they understood God was on his side. The famous John Welsh was also a great intercessor, intercessor for his country. He used to say, he wondered how a Christian could lie in his bed all night and not rise to pray. John Welsh, he was a Scottish preacher, son-in-law to John Knox. His wife said to him later, he would never say this of himself, but he said this later. He thought the day was badly spent. If he did not spend, listen, this I'm not make, trying to make anybody guilty here. But he, he thought the day was badly spent if he did not spend eight to ten hours in prayer. He kept a kilt that might wrap around himself when he rose to pray at night. It was very cold in Scotland. His wife could complain when she found him lying on the ground weeping. He would reply, oh woman, I have souls of 3,000 to answer for. And I know not how it is with many of them. How could I not pray? I have a church of 3,000 people. I need to pray. She was really worried, like, oh, you're going to catch an ammonia. And then, you know, Scott, you're going to catch an ammonia, you fool. <laughs> Woman, you don't understand. <laughs> All right. Pray for the needs of your congregation. If you need more reminders, you know, put up maps. 
for the nations. You know, go get the Operation World book or, or uh, what was the other one? Uh, Pray for Every Home, I think it is. Um, you know, go to the website. You know, just take a screenshot of all the faces of the elders or the, the life group leaders and pray for the leaders or pray and leaders, life group leaders, pray for everybody in your life group. Leaders pray for the congregation, congregation pray for the leaders. And then everyone pray for the nations in our city. There's Oviedo maps at the city hall. I remember getting those a while back. I have reminders to pray for, for you know, Oviedo and uh, the mayor and flags in the back reminding us of the nations to continue to pray for these people. We could do much in prayer. Much in prayer. And there's also a blessing when we engage in intercession. Samuel Rutherford says this, I have been benefited by praying for others, for by making an errand to God for them, I have gotten myself something as well. Isn't that interesting? As I run an errand for God in prayer, he always gives me a treat, so to speak, along the way. Now, of course, we don't do it just because of that, but we always find ourselves blessed. Maybe by even the answering of that prayer. Number six, pray with dependence. Be dependent on him for everything. Luke 11, pray for your daily bread. Do you pray for that? I know it's just, he, God said he will provide for us. He says that in Matthew 6. Don't worry about what you wear and what you will do. Trust God. Seek his kingdom first. There was a story one time of an old experienced minister who gave young advice to a young minister. He says, don't ever undertake one duty of ministry without crying out to him, no matter how routine it is. Sometimes you can get so in the habit of doing things. Right? Oh, I got this. I got this meeting. I got this. There's been many times where I've made a phone call and I just got into it and I can even hear myself in the back of my mind, the pride speaker. Oh, I got this. And I ended the phone call being like, what in the world was that? It was so routine. We need to make sure that everything that we do is bathed in prayer. And God will give us wisdom. He'll give us victory. Be honest about your lack of prayer, your lack of dependence. Listen to Robert Murray McShane. He was sick with a lot of heart palpitations and fatigue. I've mentioned that before. And before he left to Israel from Scotland on a six-month journey, he says this, I am persuaded that I have been brought into retirement to teach me the value and need of prayer. Alas, I have not estimated aright the value of near access unto God. He was struggling. And you can see that. It is not the mere daily routine of praying for certain things that will obtain the blessing, but there must be the need within the real duty from a son asking of God the things which we need and which he delights to give. We must study prayer more. Be instant in prayer. You'll be thinking, my affliction is teaching me uh, teaching me much by saying these things. In other words, he knew that God was taking him and he knew that those heart palpitations was driving him to his knees. He knew that he was saying, look, I could get this man's attention, God's saying. And Murray McShane understood. He said, look, I need this reminder. When trials and tribulation come, sometimes God says, I will fix your prayerlessness by giving you trials. You might be thinking, well, that's cruel. No, at the end of it, I tell you, you will not think that way. Why? Because you'll be closer to him. You understand that you'll be thanking him because it was through those trials and tribulations that you sought the Lord 
Oh, I wish it were so. Nobody ever made me less, made less use of affliction than I do. He's like, look, I'm even making use of my affliction. I'm still carelessness in my affliction. Oh God, what will you do? I feel the assaults of Satan most when I am removed into a corner. Every evil thought and purpose rushes over my soul. And it is only at times that I can find him whom my soul loveth. Number seven, pray with God's word. There's a book on that, praying through the scriptures. And, you know, you don't even need a book on that, I suppose, but it, it could be helpful. But praying through the scriptures, you know, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, his, prayer, his promises are yes and amen. John Trapp says, you know, Puritan says this, a prayer is putting the promises into suit. God's promises into suit. Thomas Manton, also Puritan, says this, one good way to get comfort is to please is to plead the promise to God in prayer. Show him his handwriting. I love that. God, you said this is going to happen. God loves that. God is tender of his word. This arguing in prayer is not to work upon God, but ourselves. William Gurnall also says this, prayer is nothing but the promise reversed, or God's word formed into argument and retorted by faith, faith upon God again. He writes later, the promises are the ground of faith and faith when strengthened will make you fervent and such fervency ever speeds and returns with victory out of the field of prayer. The mightier anyone is in the word, the mightier he will be in prayer. Sometimes we realize our prayer life stinks is because we don't know the language of God. Number eight, pray with persistence. Be persistent in prayer. Luke 18, the persistent widow. And Luke 11, if you remember that, he's praying on behalf of his friends. Say, give me bread for my friends because they're coming. So it's important to be persistent. Keep knocking, Matthew 7, 11 through 7. Says, uh, 7 through 11. Ask, seek, and knock, and you shall be given. The door will be open to you. Matthew 21, 22. All things whatsoever you ask in prayer and believing, you will receive. You need to pray persistently. Keep knocking. God answers prayer. Remember what James 4, 3 says? The reason why you don't have is what? Because you don't ask. I always love Acts 4. It's always funny to me that you have this incredible church that was birthed in the New Testament. And they were praying. James just had died from Herod. And then all of a sudden, Peter was next, and he put in prison, if you remember that, in the series last year. And then, uh, then they, they were praying, they had an all-night prayer, and then Peter's knocking on the door. Hello, your prayers are being answered. <laughs> and they're like, no, it's not Peter. No, wait, it's just ghost. <laughs> they, just, they, they, didn't believe, they didn't believe that their persistent prayer would come to fruition. Thomas Watson says this, the angel fetched Peter out of prison. Listen. But it was prayer that fetched the angel. It was prayer that fetched the angel. Amen? I want, we want to be a part of the answering of prayer on behalf of the saints in our church. Number nine, pray with faith. James 5, 16, pray with faith. Mark 11, 24, pray with faith. Thomas Watson says this, prayer that is faithless is fruitless. Prayer that is faithless is fruitless. Uh, another Puritan says this, a saint is to put forth his prayer, his faith in prayer, and afterwards follow his prayer with faith. Let me say that again. Listen carefully. 
a saint or a believer is to put forth faith in prayer. So we're going to start with faith in prayer, believing that God's going to do it. But then after we've prayed it, we're going to follow our prayer with faith, knowing that it may take some time. Let's trust God that on the front end, when we pray, when we ask for, that he will eventually answer. Ryle says, faith is to prayer what a feather is to an arrow. Without prayer, or faith in prayer, will not hit the mark. It will not hit the mark. Prayer will not hit the mark without faith. Hebrews 11, understanding that faith, that, that huge, that hall of faith, just look at it. Read, read, read that again to stir your faith. Understand that those people knew that their faith would move God. And move them, not just to answer their prayer to get them out of persecution. They were sawn in two. There's no way of getting out of that. But they understood that if they stayed the course, they would be honored in heaven as a martyr. There is no greater honor than being a martyr in heaven. To die for your faith. Last but not least, number 10, pray with God's will in mind. Pray His will be done as Christ did. Not your will, God the Father, but, my, but not my will, but your will be done. That's a hard prayer. That's not easy. Did you ever kind of hesitate when you're about to do that? You're like, or, you know, people say, for the, you know, not my will, but your will, Lord. It's like, no, you totally want your will. What are you fooling? <laughs> but to be honest and say, Lord, I, I want this to be true. I want to pray like the Savior. I know where his prayer is. Yeah, of course he wanted the cup to pass. God answered the prayer and he was slaughtered. But what happened after that? Resurrection. God always has the last say. Always. And we can be confident of that. His will is better than ours. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Paul understood that. All right, fine, keep the thorn there. I prayed three times, he wouldn't take it away, but fine, keep the thorn there. Why? Because you know what? His grace is sufficient in my weakness. And he is accomplishing his will through my life. We can all be very encouraged. Can you imagine reading Corinthians if Paul never suffered? What encouragement might a believer have in suffering? None. So we're thankful in one sense that he suffered. John 14, 13 to 14 says this, asking my name or asking his name according to his will with faith. And it'll be done. James 4, 3, yeah, you don't have because you don't ask. But if when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives. You ask not according to the will of God. And that you in trouble. Now listen to what Thomas Brooks says. God looks not at the elegancy of your prayers to see how neat they were, nor yet the geometry of your prayers to see how long they are, nor the arithmetic of your prayers to see how many there are, nor the music of your prayers, nor yet to see the sweetness of your voice, nor yet the logic of your prayers, but the sincerity is what God looks at. He looks at the sincerity of your prayers. And some of us feel like, I don't have any language. I don't, have, I don't even know how to pray. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I just feel like, I don't know what I'm doing. Be encouraged by this. He cares about your heart. Go back as a child and ask a simple question that the disciples asked. Jesus, teach me how to pray. 
I don't know how to. Can you teach me? He cares about how hardy they are. There is no prayer acknowledged, approved, accepted, recorded, rewarded by God, but that wherein the heart is sincere, sincerely and holy. With a W. The true mother would not have the child divided. God loves a broken and contrite heart, so he loathes a divided heart. God neither loves halting nor having. So what do we do when prayers are delayed? What do we do when we're frustrated in seasons where God is not answering our prayer? That's frustrating. I mean, that's a whole sermon in itself, right? It's extremely frustrating. When you're sick and you're not healed. When you have lack of money and it's not come through. When you're praying for someone's salvation and they're not saved. When you're asking God for that job and it didn't happen. When you're believing for a spouse and they have not come yet. It's frustrating. But you have to understand something. The Puritans were very wise and as Thomas Brooks says this, you must distinguish between delays and denials. What is the difference? Did you pray according to his will? Sometimes the delay might just be it's coming around the corner. Perhaps the delay means he's not going to answer in the way you think. But he did answer. No is still an answer. Still an answer. Samuel Rutherford Another Puritan says, Set no time to the Lord, the creator of time. For his time is always best. His time is always best. You can pray in faith. You can do everything that this t- the list of ten says. Everything's just perfect. You just pray perfectly if you can ever do such a thing. And the answer still might be no or wait. Or you might tweak your prayer. And say, pray this way. And then once you do, the door's open. Amen? All right. Well, it goes back to what J.C. Ryle says as we close here. He says, look, perhaps, perhaps the reason why you don't pray is because you don't know him. And I think it's important that you evaluate that this morning. Maybe perhaps people that are listening online, that if you don't know Christ Something that Ryle says here is interesting. He says, fear not because your prayer is stammering. Your words are feeble and your language is poor. Jesus can understand you. Just as a mother understands the first lip sings of her infant, so does the blessed Savior understand sinners. He can read a sigh and he can see the meaning of a groan. Isn't that beautiful? If you're not saved, if you don't know God, you can start today. Do not wait. The devil loves delays. He loves a lack of urgency in our hearts. That you need to come to Christ. Go to him. Because Jesus says in John 6, when people go to him, he will never cast out. He will never cast out. And they understood that. If you're lacking in prayer, yeah, it could be that you don't know him. But today could be the day of salvation. But also, if you know him and you're struggling with prayer, go through these ten. Go through these ten. I love what Richard Sitt says. Be sure God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. You don't have to be formal. You don't have to get it all together. He can understand your battle. 
perfectly. Let me close with uh, two quotes from McShane, which I think are very fitting. One exhortation is to the church, and one exhortation is to the pastors in the room, the, the elders, the, the leaders, life group leaders. McShane says this to the churches. He was preaching to a, a kind of an, organi- uh, an ordination service uh, to a bunch of pastors and then their people. He was ordaining ministers. And he was preaching from 2 Timothy 4. And he was preaching on the preach the word. And he was talking about, hey, look, as you as your bef- ministers are you before the Lord, you need to do this. Preach the word of God in season. As he's rebuke, encourage, exhort. And he says this to the churches to pray for their pastors. The churches need the church, the congregation, the, the, the people, us here in the room need to pray for leaders. It's important. This is what he calls out. He had a charge to the church first, and then he got on to the pastors. He says this, God's children, pray for him, or pray for them. Pray for his body, that he may be kept strong, spared for many years. Pray for his soul, for that he may be humble and holy, a burning and shining light that he may grow. Pray for his ministry, that he may be abundantly blessed, and that he may be anointed to preach good tidings. Let there be no secret prayer without naming him before your God. No family prayer without carrying your pastor in your hearts before God. Hold his hands up so Israel will prevail against Elimelech. Do you pray for your leaders? And by the way, he preached this at 26 years old. And died three years later. This is what he says to pastors to pray for their people is a little longer, but it's worth it. Last of all, be a man of prayer. Give yourself to prayer and the ministry of the word. If you do not pray, God will probably lay you aside from your ministry, as he did to me, to teach you to pray. Remember Luther, Luther's maxim in, in, in Latin. He says this, to have prayed well is to have studied well. Get your texts from God, your thoughts, your words from God. Carry the names of the little flock upon your breast. Like the high priest, wrestle, you wrestle for the unconverted. Luther spent three of his best hours in prayer. John Welch, like I said earlier, prayed seven to eight hours a day. He used to keep a kilt on his bed that he might wrap himself in. And when he arose at night, sometimes his wife found him on the ground lying and weeping. When she complained, she would say, oh, when she would complain, he'd say, oh, woman, I have souls of 3,000 to answer for. And I know not how it is with many of them. Oh, that God would pour down his spirit of prayer on you and me and all the ministers of our beloved church. And then we shall see better days in Scotland. In church, we will see better days in Orlando when we are people, all of us, leaders and the congregation, sons and daughters, when we are people on our knees. Amen? We'll see better days. Let's pray. Father, make us a people of prayer. I pray, Lord, that we would ha- 